Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Thanks, guys. What a treat having you guys share with us. Good morning, everyone. I hope you are well. Hope you're safe at home or wherever you are. Uh, A few things that we do want to, again, talk about. One is when we will be gathering again. Uh, We talked about this Friday night. Uh, We don't know yet. We don't have a date set. Hopefully sometime soon. But before we meet, we want to make sure that the place is safe and not only that everyone is safe coming, but if people are unable to attend or don't feel that they are comfortable attending because of health risks, uh, have the availability to join us online as we stream. And so we are working towards that to be able to be live and record live at the same time. When those things take place, uh, we will let you know and present these things so that we can gather again together. I do miss you guys as I shared uh, sometime this week. I hope that you guys are still getting together with people. I know many of you are. I know that a lot of people have extended themselves to others, have helped those who are struggling financially, uh, those who have had children or who have been sick, uh, gone and taken them food. And that's really being church, right? That's what it's about. It's not about coming together and meeting. It's about meeting with one another and the needs that we have in our daily lives. And I I am thankful. I am touched and overwhelmed by your generosity to one another. Um, It just speaks volumes of who you are. And again, thank you all for participating in the work of Christ in the lives of those around you. Appreciate that, and I hope you continue to do that until we do come back together. Um, and then may that never stop, really. Right? May that continue in the ways that it's supposed to. Uh, also, wanted to let you know that uh, Randy had surgery on his right arm for his bicep. They had to reattach a tendon. They had to drill a hole through the bone and then reattach the tendon. And he's in a full arm cast. He's going to be that way for, I think, six weeks and then have to go to uh, through physical therapy to rehabilitate his arm. So be praying for him uh, and for the family. Uh, he's, again, out of work right now, and then he's decommissioned as well. Um, So I know there's a lot going on. He seems to be doing well, but hey, that's a lot to handle, plus everything else that's going on. Uh, This morning, 
my conversation has been shifted and changed so many times by the events that are taking place around us. You know, you, you can't just put an idea together and say, well, this is what I'm going to talk about. I guess you can, but I can't. I can't just say, well, we're going through this book of the Bible. Let's just keep going through it. And then all the world's going to hell. And you're like, oh, well, let's just keep doing it. I, I have to address the things that are happening around us and around me. And I know around you as well. Uh, Friday night with Dr. Quinlan, we had a conversation and we were talking about what it is that takes place with people when they feel that they are not being heard. And, and it happens in relationships. If someone is not listening, then what happens is our viewpoint, our agenda is the only one we see. We, we have a conversation and maybe it's with your spouse or someone in your family or a coworker and, and all you see is your point of view and you defend your point of view, why it's right. And they talk to you, but you don't hear what they're saying. All you're hearing is how you're going to respond. And that person then doesn't feel heard, right? They're talking with you, but you're not hearing them and they get frustrated. In relationships, it shows up in different ways, and it's showing up societally, right? In if that's a word, it's showing up in our society because people feel that they are not being heard, and so they respond. And the response is never uh, a good thing, but sometimes it's a necessary thing. Sometimes it's the only way to get the attention. I'm not being heard, but there are ways to do it that are important and that are healthy. Yesterday, I had a lesson. I was training a dog. And so here I am in my dog training world. You know, I've got this little terrier who's biting people and attacking dogs. And that's my focus. And that's the family's focus. And I'm dealing with that. And I, I do my training and it's a success. And there's high fives all around. Yay. Dog's doing good. Everything's going out. I, I come out of the house, heading to my car, and I start going through some text messages. And there's a text from a member of our Genesis community asking for prayer as her husband works in a nearby city who's a police officer and he's going to be working through the night and there's going to be the protests and demonstrations taking place for the horrific things that happened to George Floyd that everyone is aware of. And she is concerned for his safety and I understand that and I, I let her know, going to definitely pray for him, pray for you guys. And moments later, I'm going through social media and I see some other friends who are in the same city who are a part of the protest and demonstration in that city protesting again in support for the rights of those people who feel they're not being heard. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've got one person asking for prayer for a police officer is here. I've got other people who are there who are part of the protesting and my first thought actually was thankful. I was glad that these people who I know were there because I know them and I know that they are considerate of human life. I know that both parties are going to conduct themselves in a way that is going to have a good effect around the people around them, whether it's around the other police officers or around the other protesters. And having a confidence in people and their mindset and their caring, even though they are on, on different sides of the sphere, is something that can happen. It's the nuances of life that we have to struggle with and, and engage in. Um, 
one of my friends is concerned for her husband's safety and protection. My other friends are concerned also for the safety of people in our society. And I think that's where something is common between them. There, there is a concern for humanity, for life. And here I am, a pastor, right? A person who is supposed to lead people in the ways of Jesus, thinking about these different things and wondering, how am I going to talk about something like this in a time where things are so uh, sensitive? And so tense. Paul tells us in Galatians 5 about what he calls the works of the flesh. And when we hear the works of the flesh, what he's talking about is really a self-centered way of thinking, almost animalistic, where it's just caring about your needs and not caring about the needs of others. And he says that some of these things are idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. And that word rivalries in the Greek is eritheria, and it means factions. It has to do with this idea of different groups that are opposing each other or opposing another group. And I was reading this in the message translation And it was something that just jumped out and just kind of grabbed me and shook me. And I want to read it. It's Galatians 5, starting at verse 19. And it says, It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival." uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. This isn't the first time I have warned you. You know, if you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. That is so full of insight into a life that pits a person against everything else. That idea of factions, I love how Eugene Peterson calls this the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. And isn't that what we see happening? There is a depersonalizing. There is a dehumanizing of people. We see people as less than the image of God. And so we can treat them how we see fit because we have depersonalized them and we see them as against us instead of part of the human race. And it shows up in the actions of individuals. And just like my friends who I could trust with their actions because of their insight and concern for other people, 
when that happens where people depersonalize and sees everyone as a rival, then it's everyone for themselves. I'm going to push my way. I'm not going to hear your way because I have a point and it's the only point that matters. And if you are in that frame of mind, then you're in a dangerous place to cause more friction, more tension, more harm. We're witnessing a time where that depersonalized rivalry is taking place on so many fronts. I mean, the coronavirus itself, right? We have some people who are so concerned. There, there's those who are concerned of the healthy the health of others, and then there's those who think that you guys aren't concerned enough, right? And it's like, are you wearing a mask? Why aren't you wearing a mask? And they'll judge you for not wearing a mask. I had some people who were walking up Euclid and they saw all these posts about people commenting of, why aren't you wearing masks? You're walking in front, you're endangering us all, right? And then you have other people who are on the other side of the spectrum saying, it's not that big a deal. You know, look at the statistics. Not so many people are dying. It's not something that we need to be that concerned about. And now they're pitted against each other. Right? That was just in COVID-19. That was before the, the racial tension came here with George Floyd and what happened there. And now that comes into the play. And you've got this again, pitting. We have people who say one thing and people who are saying another and they're trying to deal with these things in so many different ways. A friend of mine, again, I got some friends that are out there. Uh, I'm serious, I, I, and I'm glad that I'm a part of their lives, and I'm glad they're a part of my life. I had one friend who said, I can't believe that people are more upset about rioting and destroying of buildings than they are about a police taking a human life, an innocent human life. And they said that, and I think, I'm upset with both. I can be upset with both. I don't think either of them good. I don't think either of them should be tolerated. I think we have a, a voice that can be pushed against both these because they're both inhumane. They're, they're both dehumanizing people and the value that people have. And we need to stand up against anything that takes the value of a human life and makes it less than the image of God that it was created in. But with that comes the responsibility of how we are supposed to act. That's why Paul says, this isn't the first time I warned you. You know, your use of freedom in this way will not inherit God's kingdom. Your use of freedom. If I have freedom, how am I going to use it? Let's not even start yet in the fact that this is going to be an election year and politics are going to get crazier than it already is where people are going to, again, have this depersonalizing everyone into a rival. You are a part of this party. You are a part of this party. And forget that we are a part of the human race and need to understand and hear each other before we speak at each other. Now, this is something that's difficult, right? I, I'm not even dealing with Christianity and all the factions that are a part of Christianity and those, you know, demonizing and vilifying others for not getting it right. But where do we go from here? How, how do we live in this environment in a way that is evident that we believe in God and follow Jesus? And 
the story of God that we see in scripture and of God's people is one where God first and foremost hears his people's cry. In Exodus chapter three, says, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. It begins with a God who knows when people cry out, when people are oppressed, and God who knows the sufferings of people. I think that's important because that really is a narrative throughout scripture. We see that playing out over and over again from Joseph, one of Israel's sons who who was thrown into a pit and sold into slavery by his brothers to Jesus, who was born really a slave under the Roman empire. Throughout this period of time, we see God hearing the cry of his people. And it shows up in the culmination of Jesus' words in Luke chapter four, where he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he, God has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We see God hears and God responds with good news. This coming of Christ is the good news that we have, the gospel, that God heard the cry of people, humanity, and responded. So wherever there's injustice towards people, we see God's love, compassion, and help extended to those very people. Whenever we fail to see people in the image of God, we fail to represent Jesus. Whenever we don't understand the value of a human being, we don't understand the heart of God and we cannot represent him at all. And this isn't simplistic. This isn't, yes, this is all how it is. It's nuance. It doesn't turn a blind eye to actions or behavior. It holds people up to a standard of behavior to live to, no matter where they are, no matter who they are. It gives warning and consequence to those who fail to live in this image. And as Jesus protected the image of God, He did it even in the prostitutes, the thieving tax collectors, the riotous zealots, without condoning behavior that wasn't in line with who God is. We who say we are his followers need to do the same. And it's hard when it feels like it's a personal attack. It's hard when we feel I'm not being heard. How do I see the image of God in someone who I see in these lights? And to my brothers and sisters who are on the side of the oppressed, Jesus' words are hard, but they are powerful. In Luke 6, he says this, to you who are ready for the truth, I say this, Love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make it a present. 
If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. Those words are hard. But what Jesus is saying is take command over your life. Don't let someone's actions to you take command of what you are. They are going to see you in this light. You are going to prove that you are more. Now, I understand that these words and scripture itself have been used throughout the ages to keep people in their place. The Bible has been used to justify slavery. Scripture has been used to try and dull people's minds to God's care and love and wanting to liberate all people. And I understand that I, as a person of privilege, don't understand the challenge the same way that most of you who aren't white do. But I want you to know that history is on the side of Jesus's words. That it's not just me standing here telling you, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to live. This is Jesus saying it. And when we see it applied throughout the lives of history, we see that it has a greater effect on humanity for liberation than any other way that has been presented. That way of loving and peaceful resistance. And so I just want to go through a, a few instances in history to help us see that this isn't just someone telling us don't do anything. This is actually someone telling us, I want you to do more. I want you to respond in a way that changes the world that you're living in. In 1930, on March 12th, at the age of 61, I love that. I love that he was 61 because I'm not even that old yet. Not far, but... Gandhi left his ashram with a band of 78 hand-picked volunteers and headed for the sea. The Mahatma's destination was the village of Dandi, 241 miles to the south. Once he arrived at the beach 24 days later, Gandhi proceeded to pick up salt. The reason is it was the production of what was controlled by the occupying British government. They were the only ones who were allowed to get the salt and sell it. And he went and took it, and it was a gesture that served as the state start to India's independent movement. And if you're familiar with Gandhi, you understand that it was a nonviolent revolution. He says, I will not comply to what you ask me to do, but I will not resist you when you force me to do otherwise. I love some of the things we see in Gandhi. He, he brought freedom from the British rule through that nonviolent protest. Gandhi said that I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians, which is interesting as many Hindus were not allowed in churches at that time. Gandhi's actual full quote appears to be in the 1920s where he says, Jesus is ideal and wonderful, but you Christians are not like him. What a testament against Christianity as it appeared at that time in that country. 
In the late 1960s, Cesar Chavez advocated for peaceful boycotts, protests, a grueling yet nonviolent 25-day hunger strike, which led to legislative changes to end the exploitation and abusive treatment of American farm workers. He led a five-year strike in Delano, California, bringing together over 2,000 farmers to demand minimum wage primarily for underpaid, overworked Filipino farm workers. This caused more than 17 million Americans to boycott California grapes, which helped secure unions, better wages, and security for farm workers. Here was a person who did a fast, protested, and 17 million Americans followed that lead. You see, this is what moves people in a way of response that starts to spread. In 1956, one person's peaceful actions brought about more change than anyone imagined. Rosa Parks' refusal to give up her seat to a white passenger on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama is an example. Her defiant act symbolized greater civil rights, spreading the message that all people deserve equal seats. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled later in 1956 segregation on public buses unconstitutional. That's only 63 years ago. That's not a long time. Things have changed, but things still need to change. Why would 17 million people boycott with a small group and a nation change its laws for those who did not have power. I believe that something strikes at the core of us when we see examples like this, when people who are without power take what they have and take power of their lives to show a resistance in a way that's peaceful that people are wanting to follow and respond to. Right? It shows up, we see it, and it pulls something out of us. When you see an article in the news, and you don't see very many, but when you see the, a line of black men protecting a white police officer who's separated from his group, protecting him against people who would be violent. Something happens when you see that. Something is pulled out of you when those kinds of instances happen. When a group of Muslims line up around a Christian church to protect that church from being broken into and destroyed, something about that strikes to the core of humanity that says this isn't a rivalry that I need to pit against it. It says, I see people as more and I'm going to be more because of that. It lifts us up and it doesn't pull us down. It calls us to the image of God that we were created in. It helps us to see that image. It's there and it's powerful. It changes us. When white men and women stand in solidarity with the black community because of injustices that are still taking place, when white police officers shield a black woman and her children from a violent outbreak, something about that says yes. Something rings true to the core of who we are when we see these acts of sacrifice. But you see, it's not easy. 
people are putting themselves in risk for these things to happen. Another example, 1972, on September 23rd, President Fernand Marcos announced that he had placed the entirety of the Philippines under martial law. This marked the beginning of a 14-year period of one-man rule, which would effectively last until Marcos was exiled from the country on February 25th, 1986. That revolution is known as the People Power Revolt. Hundreds of thousands of people took to the streets in protest of President Marcos in peaceful demonstration. What did the president do? He called on his military to go and squash this revolt. Hundreds of thousands of people lining the streets, tanks, men with guns going against them. And what happened? There's one story where a group of nuns kneeled before the upcoming tanks and they would not move. And the tanks got closer and they started edging their way, trying to push them. And they were a wall. These nuns on their knees before these iron horses and the men inside them could not move forward. You see, there is a force that is stronger than a tank. And it is the force of the human heart created in the image of God that pulls that out of us. And if we would allow that to happen and shape us, the things we could do to benefit the people around us These are the things that move us. These are the things that change us. Just because they kneeled and prayed and would not move, but that's risky. That's dangerous. There's one more revolution that I found amazing. I did not know about this one. I don't know how I missed it, but in 1988 to 1991, music changed the Baltic countries. It was known as the music revolution. Music and social activity has kind of been a partner throughout this kind of nonviolent protest. But during what's known as the singing revolution, Estonia literally sang its way out of the rule under the Soviet Union. In 1988, more than 100,000 Estonians gathered for five nights to protest Soviet rule. As they were just singing in these Large stadiums, they were singing songs about their own country and their own society, and it caused a rippling effect that took place not only in their country, but also in Latvia and Lithuania. At one point, get this, on August 23rd, 1989, two million people stood side by side, forming a human chain that spread from the capital of each of these countries. This human chain was 420 miles long of people singing in protest of Soviet rule. And it was so powerful that the Soviets gave them their freedom without a shot being fired. These were the first of the three countries that got the freedom from Soviet rule. Those countries are here today. Soviet Union isn't. One of the most powerful nations in the world is no more, but these people who sang and locked arm to arm for 420 miles, 
they are. We see in the Gospel of Matthew, a Roman centurion go to Jesus on behalf of one of his servants. And the centurion replies to Jesus as he says, I'm going to go and heal your servant. And he says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus responds, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. These lines are just being broken. This boundaries that are being set because the tensions we have today are not new. They were there at the time of Christ. They were there between the Romans and the Jews and the Jews and the Gentiles. There, there was racial tension even as there is today. And we see Jesus willing to go to a servant. We see a Roman centurion saying, I, I want you to come and heal, but you don't need to come. I'm not worthy. The posture, not seeing rivalry, but seeing sacrifice and service. In Acts chapter 10, there is a centurion named Cornelius, a devout man who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Here is what is known as the enemy, and he is considered a God-fearing man. And what we start to see is that the freedoms we have, whether you're an Estonian a Jew, or a Roman, that freedom must bow its knee to love. That freedom must bow its knee to service of others if it wants to set others free. Nonviolent protest has proven to be the strongest way to lasting change in our recent history. But it's not without cost. All of the disciples were martyred except for John. Whether we see Gandhi, we see Martin Luther King Jr. We see the nuns who were going out and kneeling before tanks, putting their lives at risk. People are injured, lose their jobs, fighting for what they believe is the benefit of humanity. And I think we as followers of Jesus need to take and understand that Christianity has always believed and lived in a posture that there is something worse than dying. It's not living. It's not living up to the potential of who you were created to be. And when that happens, something in us dies already. What does it profit if you gain the world and you lose your soul? Lose who you really are. This is what the disciples believed. This is why they were martyred. And this is why their faith spread. Because they weren't afraid of the persecution that would come their way to stand with the one who was opposing the rule. And Jesus opposed not only the rule of Roman authority over people and how they treated people, he opposed the religious rule of the Jews who used their authority over the people. He went to the least of these and said, I'll stand here with them. 
And he did it peacefully. He did it sacrificially. Hebrews 12 tells us, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against him so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Take his example. He gave himself for us. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What a thing to say, right? Hey, it's not, you haven't bled yet. What is he saying? He says, you have more to give. You have a life to give to something that is greater than you. This is what we're called to. We're headed for some rough times, people. In this coming year, things are going to get pretty ugly. How are we going to respond? Are, are we going to be the ones who take up stones against those who we consider our rival? Or are we going to take a higher road and have a, a peaceful resistance to the things being forced on us? Yes, resistance, but yes, peaceful. And I'm asking us who are part of Genesis community to take a stand against factions that would deny and divide people who are created in God's image, to, to make a peaceful stand alongside those struggling, to listen to allow people to be heard, to, to maybe take water and supplies to those who are out there protesting and show solidarity for them. And maybe also take that water to those who are police officers who are standing on the opposite side of the street, maybe be a person who actually brings peace. You see, to make peace, you have to make peace between factions. You don't just make peace with one side, you make peace so that people understand that there is a better way to live. There is a higher calling to live up to. And I am going to hold myself to that standard and try and get people to follow me there. But it's not safe and it's not easy. And not everyone's going to be happy. I thought to myself, if I do a good job today, I'm going to make everybody mad at me a little bit, but hopefully make everybody think a lot. And I hope that's true. It's happening with me. Right? I'm having to readjust how I think. I used to think that social media was of no use. It was just slacktivism where you post things and it's just your way of getting things done. But social media does have the ability to have an effect and bring change in a lot of the people who perceive it, but it also has the ability to be abused, right? People can present things to move people. And if enough people are moved by something that is just presented, even if it's not true, it can cause problems. So now I have to think, how do I respond to all the things that are out there? And more importantly, how do I behave? How do I treat people? How do I treat people who don't think they are heard? How will I conduct myself? Will I take the form of a servant and see others as more important than myself, as Jesus did? Or will I make sure my words get heard, that my way is known and continue this idea of factions? I want to close with a passage in Ephesians. Again, this is the message translation. And as I was reading over it, I was just overwhelmed again by these words because they're they're so applicable to our time. And they're so challenging, at least they were to me. and And I hope they are to us. 
says, you were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together, both, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who rules over all, works through all and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. I had to let that sink in. And I'm still letting it sink in. If there's one who rules over all and there is this permeation of oneness, am I living in that? He goes on, he says, that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. This text for this is as the, such. He climbed the high mountain. He captured the enemy and seized control. He handed it all out in gifts to the people. Is it not true that the one who climbed up also climbed down to the valley of earth? The one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up to the highest heaven. He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth with his gifts. He handed out gifts to apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working with Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. No prolonged infancies among us, please. We'll not tolerate babies in the woods, small children who are at easy mark for imposters. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and to tell it in love. Like Christ in everything, we take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. May we permeate with oneness, see humanity in the image of God and recognize that he rules over us all, works through us all, and is present in us all. Let's pray. God, my words are so inadequate for the needs of our day, but you by your spirit can bring to life the things in us that will produce from us a society that is changed and looks different. Father, may we seek to hear and not just be heard. May we listen and may we respond with love and kindness and patience. Father, you have not asked that we would all be the same, but you have asked that we would all be concerned and caring. 
And I pray, Father, that we as followers of Jesus would follow those steps and live like you. I pray for peace for our nation. I pray for change in our nation through peaceful resistance and for a strong commitment to your causes that consider people important. Lord, we love you and we need help. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. May the Spirit of Christ compel you to love your neighbor as yourself. May you see the opportunity that is before us to change our society by standing together for what is good and what is right. And may the glory of God be seen in your life. Thank you guys for being with us this morning. Pray the Lord keep you safe. God bless you. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.